Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-234, the mini-plot comp. This is a three-inch CD, and we are yet again going to ask Brent, is this Mersh? And you know, I'm pretty sure I know what Brant's answer is. But to bring additional information to the table, we're super thrilled to have this guest today on the show, Brant. Yeah, we've got Jennifer Schwartz on the show. Long overdue. Long overdue, for sure. This is our last episode of the year as well. And you know what that means, Brant? It's top 10 time. My favorite episode of the year every year. And this year, we're doing it in the same year as last year's top 10. Sorry, I had to point that out one more time. So how do you want to do this? Uh, some years you want me to go first. Some years you want to go first. I find you like me to go first so that you can ridicule my pick before you you tell your version of that number and how much better it is. But how do you want to do this? Well, first of all, I just want to, before we get into that, I want to say we had an, uh, an amazing reaction to our Negative Land episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to give too much of a peek behind the curtain, uh, but we didn't actually get jammed. What? Yeah. Ryan <laughs> Ryan made all of that jam art on his dual tape deck machine and, and then blasted it through his stereo so his mic would pick it up and then he blew the transistors on his amp. So yeah, uh, we might jam a Kano, uh, but we're dedicated. Yeah, we're dedicated. We yeah. blow our amps. <laughs> we blow our amps. It's already back though. I yeah. got it. My stereo guy, he was up all night in his garage uh, re-soldering some transistors on and it's back. You were like, let's go. I got to get my top 10 in order. You got it. Yeah. It's very difficult to do this show outside of my, uh, my beat lab. So we started this show in the fall of 2017. So this is our sixth top 10 episode. Wow. If you can believe it. Another year of amazing music. Well, Ryan, how about this? So I have a feeling I know what some of your picks are. <laughs> so... I'll tell you what, if you, um, if, if one of, if I knew one of your picks was in there, I'll just go knew it like that. Okay. <laughs> Why? Uh, that's not nice, but I'm used to it. I've okay. got skin like, I got skin like a rhino. So do it to me, whatever you want. So right. who's, go, who's going first? It's up to you. Uh, I better, I'm going to fall on the sword here. I can take it. I'll, and you know what? I like to give you a softball now and then. Yeah. Just to, just to beat me up. All okay, right. Well, you're going to roll your eyes at some of mine, I'm sure. So. Okay. Well, that's okay. That's okay. It's all fair game. And look, that's part of the fun. And, uh, and we're also going to do honorable mentions after this too. So I'm going to have, I've got my cockatoo quill pen here ready to just rock and get a big to-do list for my holidays. So oh, I yeah. can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah. uh. Don't go easy on me. Here is my number 10 pick of 2022. It's the latest album by this band, Mr. Files. Uh, the name of the record is Cancel Culture Club on Amphetamine Reptile. This is a two-piece noise rock unit from Chicago. This is the follow-up to their 2019 album, Penitent Curtis. If you like uh, two-piece noise rock in the vein of Dead or Tweakbird, with kind of a Melvin's vibe, but also much more of a classic rock vibe and definitely, definitely political and cynical. Mr. Files is for you. Just check out the name of one of their songs here. It's called, I took a selfie at a protest, so now I'm a good person. <laughs> All right. You're, I've never you, even heard of that. You got to check out Mr. Files. Yep. Will do. Never heard of it. Number 10 for me, 
Queensryche Digital Noise Alliance. Whoa. And then there were two, Ryan. Scott Rockenfield is out on drums, so it's just Michael uh, Witten and Eddie Jackson left from the original lineup. This is now their fourth in the 10 years since they kicked out Jeff Tate and brought in Todd LaTorre as vocalist. Each of those has shown promise, uh, but they finally made good on it. I'm not usually one of these best album since types, but this is their best album since Empire in 1990. And Man Alive Can Todd LaTorre Sing. Since 1990? I would say so, yep. Wow, how many records have they put out since then, ish? Mm, Probably 10. Wow. Yep. Well, that's cool. I so have the new band members maybe brought in some new blood and yeah, maybe. Yeah, that can sometimes happen, right? Yeah, I love it. Cool. Other than the shitty cover of Rebel Yell, I don't. It's so out of place. Wow. Yeah, that's just kind of like the last confession record, almost. Hey. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So my number nine pick for this year is the new record by this band, Meat Wave. The new record is called Malign Hex. Again, noisy punk from Chicago. This is the follow-up to 2017's The Incessant and the Volcano Park EP from last year on Big Scary Monsters. Melodic, noisy, also super cynical and political, kind of like my previous pick, Mr. Files. You can't go wrong with any of Meat Wave's records, but uh, this one's very strong. like it a lot. Right on. Uh, speaking of political and cynical... My number nine pick, Megadeth, the sick, the dying, and the dead. (laughs) (laughs) After a bit of upheaval in the Megadeth camp, uh, Dave's back with another revamped lineup after much delay, and he delivered. Uh, Great production. Some of this modern thrash stuff, if you want to even call this thrash, can be a little too slick for me, you know, pro-tooled to shit. This Mm. is punchy, it's great, it clocks in in an hour. Usually I'd complain about that, but it doesn't feel like an hour when you listen to it. Great tunes that hold up against the classics. A few guest vocalists, Ice-T is on a track. Mm. And for bonus tracks, they cover this really bitchin' Sammy Hagar song that they apparently did back in the garage days called This Planet's on Fire. And when Dave asked Sammy if they could cover it, he said, sure, but you have to let me sing on it. And they also do the Dead Kennedys police truck, which normally I, you know, I wouldn't go for something like that, but Megadeth usually does pretty cool covers. Okay, I guess it's uh, my number eight. And my number eight this year is the sixth album by this band, Mike Adams at His Honest Weight. This is modern Beach Boys for me, Hmm. and I always get the feels when I put on some Mike Adams. Sixth album on Joyful Noise, they're all just killer, solid, amazing songwriting, vocals, melodic. This one is called Graphic Blandishment, and uh, it's just, I don't know, when I need something to balance out the noise rock, I go to Mike Adams. Wicked. Never heard of it. I'll be checking that out for sure. Number eight for me, The Black Halos, How the Darkness Doubled. This is, yeah, it's brand new, just came out about a month ago, and it's their first since 2008, which is hard for me to believe. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. Rich Jones is back in the band, which is important as he's one of the primary songwriters. Uh, I would suggest like on their best albums, Uh, along with original members Jay Millett and of course Billy Hopeless on vocals. Rich has been writing and playing guitar in Michael Monroe of Hanoi Rocks Band for many years, and Michael guests on this record. Uh, it's just awesome, anthemic, Dead Boys-esque rock and roll. 
I saw these guys dozens of times in their heyday. Hopefully they hit the road again. Nice to have them back. Yeah. Does he still say shoot in stow? Of course he does. All right. <laughs> I love those vocals. Uh, okay. My number seven and uh, this, you know, my love for this band is due to you actually, Brent, because you uh, picked them as one of your top tens or honorable mentions a few years back. It's the latest album by Fontaine's DC, Skinty Fia, their third record in a row that just really did it for me um, after their first album, Dog Grill, and second, or follow-up, A Hero's Death. Just a great run of three awesome post-punk records in a row. Just so solid. Yeah. Didn't make my top ten, but for no, not because it's not amazing. It just... It is. It is amazing. It might even be their, their best record. I yeah. like how it's kind of, it's almost gothy at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they just keep getting better. Yeah. Three, like three, a brand new band with three amazing records in a row in really short succession too. Yeah. Great band. Yeah, they're starting to get a lot of attention and deservedly so. Number seven for me, Ginger Wildheart and The Sinners, self-titled. Ginger is a British guitarist, vocalist, and primary songwriter in The Wildhearts. I've talked before about my, you know, 20 plus year subscription to Classic Rock Magazine, which is a UK-based magazine. Uh, the Wildhearts, Ginger's band, are one of those uh, big in their home country, but not necessarily in Canada and the U.S. So they're always in that magazine. That's how I heard about them, uh, which is a shame because the Wild Hearts are amazing, super volatile, on-again, off-again project. After a recent reunion, they're off again. Ginger is super pro prolific. He's done tons of stuff outside the Wild Hearts, but this is his latest project. The man can really write a song, that's for sure. It's got that ragged stones, faces, Georgia satellites thing that I'm just a total sucker for. Just great songs, great production by Dave Draper, who also actually mixed that Black Halos record. Um, and it's out on Little Steven's Wicked Cool Records. Right on. So I, I, might, I might actually be into that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's good. It's, I'm not really a Georgia satellites guy, but some of those other references uh, might be up my alley. All right, my number six pick, this record, The Bleeding Hearts. Knew Riches it. Riches to rags, knew it, right? Okay, well, hey, what what can I say, man? I can't help it. Um, out on bar none, this is power, pop, rock and roll at its best, with Grant from Beyond Zebra, Kyle, Mike, and Pat from The Magnolias, and, of course, Bob Stinson from The Replacements. So cool that this record finally came out this year, or is at least, you know, available this year. Got a ton of uh, play at my place. Um, I put it on again this morning, and it's just solid start to finish. You want some amazing, amazing pop-punk rock and roll from a Minneapolis supergroup? Look no further. Yeah, uh, so you hit me to that, Ryan, and it is awesome. It probably actually would have been in my top 10, but the bylaws do allow this, but I just have a thing about putting reissues or archival releases in my top 10. <laughs> Pshaw. Yeah. I say Peshaw to that. I just gave you street cred. Don't Peshaw me, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. It is really good, and geez, Ryan, it's borderline tipsy gypsy stuff. I, I Look, I don't dislike tipsy <laughs> gypsy. I, ju I just can't do Hanoi Rocks. Oh, I'll never understand that. Okay, number six for me. Deva. D-A-E-V-A, -E if I'm saying that right. Through sheer will and black magic. Philadelphia black metal on the always reliable Pittsburgh label 20 bucks spin. I've said this before. 
I love black metal, but I'm super fussy about it. The production has to be just so. It can't be tinny ghetto blaster bullshit, uh, but it can't be like symphonic keyboard crap either. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. And the vocals need to have just the right croak to them. Uh, (laughs) These dudes had a great EP in 2017, but then they kind of fell off the radar. Worth the wait for this. It has some thrash metal in the mix. Uh, a big time Celtic Frost vibe. Uh, it rules. Absolutely amazing cover art too. Cool. I I'm, I may not check that one out. Yeah. But uh, I know that you're uh, you're pretty passionate about that type of music. So great to hear a recommend from you on it. Yeah. All right. So here is my number five. It's this one. Archers of Loaf. Reason in decline. Back after almost 20 years with their, well, their first LP in almost 20 years, they've been back uh, playing live and and a couple of singles. Different sounding vocals at this point, which is not unusual for vocalists, you know, as they get along in years. But wow, it's, uh, it just does everything I need Archers of Loaf to do for me. I think it's a bit of a sleeper though. A lot of people haven't really said much about it or have said, you know, it's too different and it is different. It's not as noisy, it's not as yelly or screamy as the Archers of Loaf of Yore. Um, but for me, I don't know, this year, this is like this is like my Bruce Springsteen album. This is my Tom Petty album. This is like uh, just anthemic, amazing, uh, post-hardcore indie rock. And I love the vocals on this record. Love them. Right on. Number five for me, Diamond Dogs, Slap Bang, Blue Rendezvous. 24-track double album from this Swedish institution. Pretty sure vocalist Sulo is now the sole remaining original member, but I could be wrong. You know, they've been a band since the early 90s, and this is somewhere around album number 12, give or take. It's everything I love in rock and roll. Again, that Thunder, Stones, Faces, uh, it's bluesy, a touch of Motown, lots of acoustic guitars with electric guitars layered on top, horns, horns all over it. If anybody out there likes that Primal Scream record I mentioned recently, Give Out But Don't Give Up, uh, you know, or The Black Crows or something like that, check this out. It's really, really good. Hmm. That sounds cool. Uh, for me, my number four pick is the new record, the first full length by Hammered Hulls, the careening record. Knew it. There, I gave you a bit of space to <laughs> say I knew it in there. Out on Discord. Of course, we've got Alec Mackay in the band and many others from many other bands. Alec from The Untouchables, Faith, Ignition, The Warmers. It's just great modern discord that sounds like a bit of a throwback at times. For me, it's like it's like my Corky album of the year. You know, it totally fit that hole for me. Uh, and I went back to it a ton. It's great. That one's not going to get old for a long time. Yeah, it is really good. And lots of people were so so pumped about that record yeah Yeah. it's good did you see ryan that Soulside has a new album too yeah actually when i ordered um hammered hulls from discord um i ordered it together with the new Soulside, so i got them both in the package right on yeah uh number four pike versus the automaton self-titled a new band i guess kind of a solo project maybe fronted by matt pike of sleep and high on fire I said it before, High on Fire is probably the best metal band on the planet today. And I, you know, I guess you could call this a solo record. It's kind of all over the place stylistically, 
I mean, it sounds like Matt Pike and it's heavy as fuck, but it's psychedelic. There's samples, uh, industrial elements. There's some, just some raging hardcore on it. It's one of those albums that requires repeat listens, and I've had quite a few. It came out in February, so it's it might be one of the most listened to records in my top ten. Alien Slut Mom is the song title of the year, hands down. <laughs> Hard to argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, uh, my number three. It's this record, The Plosives. Knew it. Self yeah, okay, okay. Uh, Self-titled release by The Plosives. Bit of a super group again here. Um, this is Rob Crow and John Swami John Reese um, out on Swami Records. Man, I really hope that they uh, keep recording and putting out new albums because this is just killer. And hard not to expect that a record with Rob and John on this record would be amazing, but it really is. Just great driving, post-hardcore, melodic. Rob's vocals are killer. Swami John's guitar is amazing, as always. That, like, undistorted heavy guitar that Swami John can do so well. I really feel like Rob Crow is one of those people that doesn't really get enough recognition. I mean, all his years in pinback, all his solo stuff. Um, it's just great to hear um, this type of combo. I hope that uh, Rob Crow gets a bit more recognition. And I hope, I, as I said... Um, more plosives records, please love it. Yeah. I think when you texted me about that earlier in the year, you said this is going to be in my top 10. So yeah. Yeah. It's that good. Okay. Probably a, a, a scoop for you here, Ryan. I I'm guessing this one's still coming for you off free LSD is my number three. We've already raved about this, so I, I won't get into it too much. And I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard it. And if not, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Every time I hear it, I actually can't believe what I'm hearing. Like Keith Morris is 67 years old and at the top of his game. This is head and shoulders above their previous records for me, which is really saying something because those are yeah. great albums. Yeah, I cannot wait to see this sci-fi comedy movie that's coming out next year as like a companion to this album. Yeah, well, it is my number two pick. Right on. Right here, right here, yeah. yeah. Dimitri and Keith are now joined by Autry and Justin, and they totally blast off, Brent. Yeah. They they blast off, Brent. At Cape Canaveral, you bet. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, I I don't know. The Pettibone artwork on this one, too, in particular, it really, really fits the vibe and the lyrics of this package. It, they really tied it all together for this record. And I agree with you. Like, it... It might be better than anything so far. Yeah. Number two for me, Ryan, this probably will not surprise you. Voivod, Synchro Anarchy. These guys have just gone from strength to strength ever since they brought Rocky and Chewie into the band. This is their 15th studio album. And, you know, in a way, one of their most accessible, which is not a word generally associated with Voivod. No. I mean, it's still crazy proggy and the time signatures are insane. But there's something in the songs that make them a little bit easier maybe to digest right out of the out of the gate. But I have to stress, you know, it's still 100% Voivod. There's another one. Can't wait for the documentary that's in the works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. I'm not as much of a fan, but I know that documentary would be awesome. Yeah. This is a good record, Synchro Anarchy. All right. It's time for my number one. Yeah. This might be one of my easiest number ones of all time. It's the Sadies, yeah. Colder Streams. 
out on Yep Rock Records, a peak record for the Sadies after 20-some albums, if you count all of their collaborations. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, came out after Dallas Good passed away. Still tragic. Still, I'm still kind of shaken by it every time I listen to this record. And um, it gives new meaning to this record and all of the Sadie's records when I listen to them. But this is an absolute killer from start to finish. Psych rock, country-infused Sadie's at their absolute best. And um, this pretty much sat on my turntable when I got it in the mail for like two months. And it was basically the first thing I did when I entered my office every single time for those first two months after I got it because it is just, it doesn't stop. Yeah, it... Could have been in my top 10 for sure. It was a contender. It, honestly, I found it hard to listen to. Yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah. It's tough. But it is amazing. But yeah, I found myself, you know, getting a little overwhelmed every time I put it on. Yeah, when you listen to those lyrics and Dallas singing them, it's, it's tough. It's yeah. tough, but yeah. can't help it. It's so good. I mean, even if Dallas wouldn't have been, wouldn't have passed away, I still would have had you know, the, I just connect so many memories to that band. I know. Yeah. Me too. All right. Number one for me, Ryan, also, like, as soon as I heard this record, I was like, that's it. It's done. There's nothing better coming out this year. <laughs> I knew this was going to be my number one. And that's the helicopters, Eyes of Oblivion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Carrying on with a, with a theme similar to the Black Halos, actually. Mm-hmm. Around the early 2000s, the helicopters were one of my favorite bands you know, circa high visibility by the grace of God. And I still think those albums are two of the greatest rock albums of my lifetime. Similar to the Halos, this is their first since 2008. Pretty consistent lineup. Original guitarist Dragon is back in the band. Unfortunately, Strings, the lead guitarist on those albums that I just mentioned, uh, he passed away at the age of 40, uh, tragically. Anders Lindstrom, a.k.a. Boba Fett, is on keys longtime member, uh, also a founding member of the Diamond Dogs, actually. Roban is on drums. He's played on all of their albums. And, of course, Nicky Anderson doing what he does best, which is fronting the helicopters. I can't believe how good these songs are. They picked up right where they left off. you know. And I guess, for many people, absence really does make the heart grow fonder. They're getting huge festival shows and hopefully some decent paychecks. Mm-hmm. These dudes are all rock and roll lifers, and they deserve it. Uh, they've been paying the dues, as they say, for many, many years, and this record is just phenomenal. Cool. I'd say about half of the ones you mentioned I've got to check out. So that's cool. Yeah. What I thought was going to... A couple that I thought were going to be in your top 10 didn't make it, Ryan, so I'll... When oh, you, like what? Well, I'll tell you when you do your, your honor, Honor, honorable, honorable mentions. mentions? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, maybe I forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how do we, who goes first on that? How do we do that? Honorable mentions. Well, mine is very long. Okay. My list. So apologies to people who came for the Jennifer Schwartz interview, but. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, if yours is long, I bet you you're going to cover a bunch that I've got. Why don't you go first on this one then? Okay. Eric Wagner in the lonely light of morning. And morning is spelt like, you know, you're in morning. On Cruz de la Sur, Eric, of course, best known as vocalist for Doom Legends Trouble. This was to be his debut solo album. He completed it right before he passed in late 2021. Many of the musicians played in Trouble and or The Skull, his more recent band. His vocals are just as incredible as on classic Trouble. Doom royalty. Rest in peace, Eric Wagner. Another epic Doom album is from 
a new Doom supergroup featuring members of Reverend Bazaar, Electric Wizard, and more. Uh, named after a Witchfinder General album, uh, and they're called Friends of Hell on Lee Dorian's Rise Above Records, big time St. Vitus vibes. If you're a fan of Rieger's era Vitus, then this is for you. Really great songs. Also, Candlemass just released their 13th studio album, Sweet Evil Sun, in November. They're second with original vocalist Johan Langvist back in front of the mic. It's their best in quite some time. Epic doom of the highest order. Hmm. Uh, the new Crowbar is also good. And not necessarily Doom, but kind of Doom adjacent. The new Mirror Queen is really excellent. Some other metal stuff that scratched my itch this year, Ryan. Worcester Mass Thrash Band High Command finally followed up 2019's Beyond the Wall of Desolation with their second for Southern Lord, Eclipse of the Dual Moons. You want killer thrash metal that isn't overproduced, like Power Trip or something like that? Check this out. Probably could have made my top 10, but it just came out a few weeks back and I didn't spend as much time with it as I would have liked. It's really good. One that I'm sure is in your honorable mentions, Ryan, that I thought would be in your top 10 is Dead Cross 2. Mm. On Ipecac 31G, uh, their second album, huge leap forward from their first, for me anyways. Yeah. Apparently, guitarist Michael Crane did much of the heavy lifting in terms of writing, and it shows. It's just an orgy of riffs. It really drifts into <laughs> Slayer territory from time to time. Of course, Dave Lombardo is a monster on drums, and with Justin Pearson and, and Patton in the band, it's it's plenty weird as well. There's a part in a song where Mike Patton screams about puking, and it sounds exactly like Zoog's Rift. Well, you know... I like Dead Cross. Um, I'm surprised to hear you say you thought it would be in my top 10. It's a, I'm not sure it's top 10 worthy. And this one was a bit intense for me, I must admit, but uh, I got into it over time. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's a bit, like I say, it almost drifts into Slayer territory at yeah. times. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Also good, the new Rip to Shreds, uh, which is Japanese death metal. It's really good. Anthrax 40 live album and Blu-ray. It's actually a live stream performance they did for their 40th anniversary. It rules. The new Municipal Waste is good. Uh, Charlotte's Funeral Chic have a new one called Roman Candle on Prosthetic. That's super good. Maybe what the Mentors might have sounded like with without the juvenile lyrics and if they didn't totally suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some black metal. Uh, the Agony and Ecstasy of Watain. Another future classic from probably the best black metal band currently active. Uh, some black metal purists might scoff at what I'm going to say next, but the new Aboth and the new Behemoth were both great. Psychedelic avant-garde black metal band Xenoglyph had a cool album called Spirit Fraud on Translation Loss. Uh, Egregor, the word of his law, excellent morbid angel-esque death metal. The Melvins, Ryan. Their records from the last 10 years haven't really blown me away. They each have like some good tracks on them, but mm -hmm. no classic albums front to back, in my opinion. I thought their new one, Bad Moon Rising, was, was one of the better they've done in quite a while. Yeah. Curious to see if you've heard this one, Ryan. On the noise front, the latest from Ken Mode, Null. It made all kinds of best of lifts, mm -hmm. lists, and rightfully so. It's an amazing record. I know them. They work really hard as a band, so they deserve deserve it. Um, they added a sax player, Catherine Kerr, kind of to really ratcheted things up 
you know, for sure in the, in the uh, discordant aspect of what they do. Apparently one of two uh, albums that that's coming out, they recorded another one at the same time as this one. It's already in the can. Ah, yeah, I know them. They haven't really been high up on my list year over year, but um, this one was interesting to listen to for sure. Yeah. Uh, here's one I'd also be curious about, Ryan, because I bet it made a bunch of lists on you know in the groups you follow and stuff. Oklahoma's Chat Pile. Yep. Uh, their album God's Country uh, made, like I said, a bunch of lists and deser- also deservedly. This is a super intense album, lyrically and musically. Not for the faint of heart. Yeah, Chat Pile, they're pretty darn good. Yep. Probably number 11 on my top 10 list, or top 11 list, is the new one from The Cult, Under the Midnight Sun. Mm. According to Ian and Billy, an attempt to get away from the blues-based rock, you know, like electric or, uh, you know, and stuff like that, and kind of go back to their post-punk goth roots like Dreamtime or Love. And I'd say they succeeded in that goal for sure. Hope they make another one. You never know with those two. Neil Young and Crazy Horse, World Record, is the album produced by Rick Rubin. I liked it. Very similar to the last few he's done with Crazy Horse, like Barn and Colorado. Also a number of archival releases of varying interest to me. Uh, My fave being the unreleased 2001 album Toast, which is superior in every way to the album he he released instead of it called Are You Passionate? And Noise Noise and Flowers, a 2019 live recording with Promise of the Real is also really great. I usually don't get into covers albums, but the Black Crow's 1972 covers EP is really good. Mm. The new one from Sloan, Steady, is excellent. Made lots of lists and could have easily made mine. Love Sloan. Looking forward to seeing them in a few months on their Canadian tour. Yeah, me too, and almost made my top 10 as well. Yeah, it's really All, great. Also on Yep Rock, like the Sadie's record. Yeah, yep. Uh, the new Clutch is really good. The new one from The Godfathers, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta is really good. Swedish avant-garde psychedelic world music group Goat are always consistently good, and their new album O oh Death on Rocket Recordings is no exception. Uh, also a contender for my top 10. Modern prog legends Porcupine Tree shocked their rabid fan base by just out of the blue releasing their first new album since 2009. It's called Closure, Continuation, and old white dudes everywhere lost their minds. (laughs) (laughs) And with good reason, it's totally excellent. If it's prog you want, the new one from another legendary modern prog band that rules is Motorcycle's new album, Ancient Astronauts. On Stickman Rune Gramophone. Uh, it's really good. If you want something kind of skronkin' and weird that you know, then you want the new Party Dozen album on Sub Pop, the real work it's called. Aussie duo that mash up jazz, no wave, noise rock, heavy on the sax. I'm expecting, you know, uh, Party Dozen to to really become a I think a pretty big band. Hmm. An awesome jazz record on the always reliable rune gramophone master ugwe with henriette ehlerston happy village is the name of the album henry henriette plays flute uh this album's a nice mix of mellow and kind of jazzy scorchers and it's live as well the new dream syndicate album ultraviolet battle hymns and true confessions on fire records their fourth since reuniting in 2012 also could have been a top 10 
bit of a grower for me, this one. But those are usually the albums that end up being, you know, your favorite. Yep. And there's another documentary I cannot wait for is the, the Dream Syndicate documentary that's in the works. A band I mentioned last year for sure, Dry Cleaning. The album's yes. called Stump Work, probably the album cover of the year. Uh, London post-punk, very sonic youth at times. Vocalist Florence Shaw does more of a spoken word style of vocal, kind of like Kim did, does on, you know, like on songs like Tunic, stuff like that. Kim Gordon, love it. This band is, is going places. Yeah, you had a similar review of their last record. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the Fontaine's DC record, which is great. The new Black Lips, Apocalypse Love on Fire Records also bounces from kind of gothy, discordant post-punk to garage rock fury. Like all of their best albums, uh, you, you just get a bit of everything with the Black Lips. Preoccupations from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a great new one called Arrangements out on Chad Van Galen's Flemish Eye label. Again, you can hear a Sonic Youth influence. Um, this one is super dark and moody. I love this band. I really can't believe they're not bigger than they are. Seems like the kind of thing that everyone's into right now. Yeah. I, they've got a bit of a black mark against them still, I think, because of the name. And I, I think that they that really kind of stunted their momentum. Maybe. Yeah, kind of feels that way, at least in Canada. Yeah. Rot TV is a Melbourne garage punk uh, band with a debut this year called Tales of Torment on TP Records. Super catchy, riffy, to- just total rock action. I'll be watching this band. They're a cut above for sure. You're going to be hearing that name, Rot TV. I've talked about the San- uh, this San Diego band, The Schizophonics, before. I think I've mentioned all of their albums in my honorable mentions. Their new LP on Pig Baby Records is called Hoof It, and it's just balls out MC5 worship. UK power pop band More Kicks released their sophomore debut, Punch Drunk, on Dirt Nap. It's really good. Legend of the Medway scene, Graham Day of the Prisoners, uh, the Mighty Caesars, and a whole bunch more uh, uh, bands released his first album solely under his own name. It's called Master of None on British label Countdown. Graham never strays too far from that that sound, thankfully, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because he's so good at it. Occasional member of the Raining Sound, uh, and also the Javons and more, uh, Ben Troken has a cool, uh, soulful EP on Daptone uh, Rock Offshoot Wick Records. Uh, it's really good, and Raining Sound have a new live album, Memphis in June. Yeah, I had that one. Speaking of Daptone, totally, totally killer new gospel soul um, band with plenty of Hammond B3 and horns. It's the new album from Miami's Scone Cash Players called Brooklyn to Brooklyn. That's really good. If you're looking for, like you said, Ryan, if you're looking to take your, you know, get a break from the noise rock. Yeah. Scone Cash Players. Uh, I mentioned the new Sadies. Um, the reactivated Ruts DC have a new one called Counterculture on their own Sosumi label. This is their second since reforming in 2007, although there have been some live releases. Second studio album, some great punk rock with some dubby stuff too. There's a song on here called Caught in the Kill Zone that might be like my my song of the year. It's just so good. Wow. A favorite of ours, Ryan, from Vancouver 
This is their eighth album, still going strong. It's the Invasives. Yeah, back. Feel Good, Live Forever on Kinda Cool Records. Uh, Great angular punk rock with Byron Slack's unique and amazing vocals, really setting them apart. Mm -hmm. Denver supergroup Cyclosonic released their debut, Everything Went Stupid. Guitarist Matt Bischoff from The Fluid. Killer vocals from Jif Jipper of Rock Tots, apparently a, a pretty legendary Denver band. Uh, check out their song Blood Red Candy and tell me that's not one of the most bitchin' songs you've heard in 2022. Uh, St- still no physical on that, hey? It's digital only so far still, is that right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think if you look on their band camp, I think there's an LP up there for sale. Is there now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, very um, Obits-esque, this yeah. band. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. LA band Uni Boys have a great album of modern lovers meets real kids rock on Brent Rainmakers of uh, of uh, Beachwood Sparks and others. His label Curation Records, just an awesome label too. It's called Do It All Next Week, and it's super excellent. The What's s- the name? The name of the band? Yeah, you y- just mentioned modern lovers and real kids, and I'm like, what? Uni Boys. Uni Boys. Okay. Yep. Okay. The single, I Want to Rock You, just has so much swagger. <laughs> I have to be honest, Ryan, I've never really gotten the hype around Viagra Boys. Yeah, me either. Until now. Oh. Yeah, I keep checking them out because they're, you know, they're so buzzy. Uh, but this album, Cave World, is exceptional. Stockholm post-punk, it's a bit dancey. They'd fit perfectly on a bill with TV Priest, who I thought would be on your top ten. Yeah, the TV Priest record that came out this year, um, My Other People, didn't grab me as much as uh, last year's. I think it is probably a sleeper, but I feel the same way as you did about Viagra Boys, as um, I do about Amel and the Sniffers. Hmm. Still still haven't done it for me, but they're just everywhere. And I'm yeah. like, I, I and I try and I try and I still can't get there. Okay, uh, we're going to head into tipsy gypsy territory here, Ryan, so get your pen out. <laughs> Joe Dog and Paul Black's Sonic Boom is the name of the band. Uh, they released their debut cl- collaboration called Everybody Rains on My Parade. Uh, Joe was in the Dogs Demore and Paul was, you know, in a bunch of bands, early LA Guns, uh, among others. Stone Swagger in Spades for sure. It's just so good. Exactly how I like my rock and roll. Sounding like it could fall apart in any minute. Played by dudes who look like Keith, circa 1972. Uh, Lorne Bierman of the Dime Store Halos and, and other bands has released his debut solo album, A Little Midnight, Total New York City Thunders Vibes. That's really good. Uh, Michael Monroe of Hanoi Rocks keeps cranking out amazing albums. I Live Too Fast to Die Young is his latest, and it's great. Rich Jones of the Black Halos in his band, Steve Conti of the Dolls, Sammy Yaffa of Hanoi and the Dolls. Uh, Carl Rockvist of the Chelsea Smiles on Drums. Amazing band, great songs. I would have given anything to to be at that Hanoi Rocks reunion show this year. Here's a recommend for you, Ryan. UK band Mrs. Beckett has a totally excellent album that also could have been a top tenor for me called Unattractively Needy. Uh, I think you'd really dig it, Ryan, especially if you like that Bleeding Hearts album. You should give Mrs. Beckett a listen. I will. Okay, I'm going to rapid fire some of the reissues and archival stuff that I that I liked from this year. 
I talked about the Use Your Illusions Deluxe Editions a few weeks ago. I've talked about the Ophelia's comp, Bear Bodkin, on the reactivated uh, Independent Project Records. They've released a bunch of great stuff this year. Even if you already have it, get the Red Cross Neurotica reissue on Merge. It's worth it for the demos. I recently talked about Alice Cooper's Live from the AstroTurf. Right. Uh, just got the four-disc box set of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers run of shows at the Fillmore in 97. Amazing packaging. Literally just got it. Um, so I haven't really do- dove into it yet. And I also, it, all those, this came out earlier in the year, I, at the same time I got the, um, the Gun Club Las Vegas Story Deluxe Edition that comes with a, a live set from 84 and a DVD called The Gun Club Home Movies on the road. I'm, I'm, so I haven't watched it yet. Looking forward to diving into all of that over the break. Uh, speaking of Hanoi, uh, the Demolition 23 reissue on Wicked Cool Records is superb. Also, the Gunfire Dance, Witness to the Crime LP reissue on Easy Action Records. Awesome to finally get a copy of that album. Speaking of Easy Action, Offshoot Troubadour released a remixed and resequenced double LP of Nikki Sudden's last album, The Truth Doesn't Matter, which is a record I've heard a thousand times. Uh, this really was like hearing it again uh, in an entirely different way. So super cool. A few singles that I liked this year. Pat Todd and the Rank Outsiders had a, two really cool singles and a 12-inch EP. Uh, Irreversible Entanglements on Sub Pop. Unbelievably good avant-garde jazz. Sub Pop kind of killed it in the singles game this year. Oh, yeah. There's a great Slift single that came out. Yeah, they're on my list here. Um, Slift? Yep. No way. Way. Oh, I think, I, I think they made my top 10 a couple of years I, ago. They did, yep. Uh, some great singles from The Bad Sports, The Loons, Weird Nightmare. Great stuff. Uh, also, one of the coolest labels going today, LA singles only label, Hypnotic Bridge, always puts out cool stuff. A great double A-side single from The Bevis Frond came out this year. Uh, both songs are just so good that it's it's pretty pretty sickening, to be honest with you. That's what I had, Ryan. What do you have this year? Wow, okay. Honorable mentions. So I... I tried to do it kind of in alphabetical order so that I could like keep some sort of like sense of, uh, of completion okay. uh, based on what I captured, but I didn't do it by genre like you did. So that's so impressive. <laughs> wow. Here we go. Uh, Bambara. Remember we got that record from Wharf Cat, Love yeah. on My Mind. That's a great record. Uh, the new Black Helicopter Live 10-inch. I mentioned that on the show on Geldor Records. That's a great Boston band that I love that have records on Ecstatic Peace. Buzzcocks put out a new record, Sonics in the Soul, on Cherry Red. No Pete Shelley, but still a good record. Uh, I mentioned the new Dead record, Laughing Shadow. That's that two-piece Aussie noise rock band. Uh, Their record's on We Empty Rooms. You mentioned Dead Cross. I also mentioned the new Enablers on the show earlier this year, Some Gift. This one's on Wrong Speed Records, but um, I'll re-recommend that people go over to Broken Clover Records and check out those Enablers records there as well. The, uh, that record is really good. I, I th- That's the one I thought was going to be in your top 10 for sure. Enablers? Yeah. It's good, right? Yeah, I love yeah, it. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really good. It just, like, I don't know, there were 10 others that edged it out. Yeah. Um, the Jawbox, double LP, live at Metro Chicago on Arctic Rodeo. Insane Jawbox live. I've never seen them live. I must see them live. Please don't stop. Please put out a new record. 
Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon. The new record is Desert Canyon on Big Ego. I've mentioned Big Ego a lot this year, I think. Chris Schlarb's label because of the Psychic Temple and uh, the Baguetta records. But if you're looking for a great modern take on Fleet Fox or My Morning Jacket-esque type of stuff, get this Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon record, Desert, Desert Canyon. I, mm-hmm. I loved it as a break from all the noise rock. Uh, the Much Maligned. New record from Mars Volta. Wondering whether you still hate it, Brandt? What are your thoughts on that one now? I don't hate it. I just don't like it. Okay. okay. I honestly had never listened to it again. Wow, really? Yeah. I've I've tried a few more times. Yeah. You know, I don't know. The familiarity is, I don't think I'll ever love it, but I don't think I will dislike it. Okay. Um, Man or Astroman put out a, a killer double seven inch called Distant Pulsar on Chunklet. Very cool. Uh, the new record from No Age, People Helping People out on Drag City, did not grab me like previous No Age. Um, I'm hoping that one is a bit of a sleeper. You mentioned the new Melvin's Bad Mood Rising on Amrep, and they also put out the Lord of the Flies 10-inch on Amrep, and then King Buzzo and Trevor Dunn put out a 10-inch on Amrep called Invention of Hysteria. All three of those are pretty darn solid, I would say, from the Melvins this year. Hmm. There was a multi-cult and child bite split 12-inch on Hex Records. Again, getting into that noise rock world, um, that's a great, great one. Also, a noise rock band or kind of noisy sludge band um, that made my top 10 a few years back, Modern Rituals, put out their Cracking the Bulk record on God Unknown Records. It's different. It's not as noisy. It's a, it's a bit more traditional rock, I would say, and it it's growing on me. Um, turns out, though, it's going to be their last record. They are done. Hmm. Uh, Naked Raygun released a single called Amishes on Wax Tracks. This is their first single from last year's Over the Overlords full length, which made your top 10, Brent, and almost made mine. Yep. Uh, we mentioned a few weeks back the new Nils EP, Five Roses. Check that one out. I might get a bunch of hate mail from Brant on this one, um, or these two. I'm going to mention both Red Hot Chili Peppers records from this year. No, Unlimited. no, I was going to ask. I'm, I'm uh, curious. Un- Unlimited Love and Return of the Dream Canteen, two double LPs. I thought they were excellent. And in fact, Return of the Dream Canteen almost made my top 10, I would say. It's that good. Um, they are just in top form and they can, I don't know. They're, you know they're excellent musicians. And even some of the hokiness is still really great on a double LP by the Chili's. Yeah, no, I was going to ask, man. I was yeah, curious. Yeah, yeah. They're both good. You, I mean, I know it'll be hard for you to... No, they're getting good sp- reviews and stuff, so... Yeah, squeezing some time for those two. They're good. Yeah. A follow-up to 2019's Year of the Fly, the new Salvation record, Mock, out on Reptilian Records. Noise, noisy grunge stuff from Chicago, right up my alley. It's deadly. Um, the new Savic record, Human Error, Human Delight, on Peculiar Works. Check that one out. Um, I mentioned the Plosives, actually, you know, made my top 10, the new Plosives record, but Swami John put out a solo record called Ride the Wild Night on Swami Records. It's good. It it's is good. Re- it's yep. really good. Worth your time, yep. for sure. There's a, a live uh, Joe Strummer, live at Music Millennium, that came out, a 12-inch acoustic. Very cool record for me in particular. Like, just you just can't beat acoustic Joe just belting out those lyrics with so much meaning behind them. So good. The new Trigger Cut, Soot, is out. This is Noise Rock from Germany. Always solid uh, output from Trigger Cut. You know, not quite 
Dwayne Dennessy, but very Jesus Lizardy. If you need something in that vein for you, uh, you mentioned the TV Priest record. I'm hoping that that one grabs me a bit more after some more listens. Same with the Super Chunk Wild Loneliness record on Merge. Um, didn't really grab me as much. It's it's definitely I would say more subdued than their prior two, and that might be why. But I also get why Super Chunk, you know, wasn't necessarily going to put out like three absolute just like balls to the wall rockers in a row they needed to uh kind of mix it up so it's still a a great super chunk record Hmm. you know top-notch playing singing songwriting you know what about the new built to spill ryan you know what i've only had a chance to listen to it once Hmm. didn't didn't really do it for me yet but but it's it's on the you know it's on the the (laughs) two listen to again yeah yeah um, something that did grab me, um, not quite top 10 material, but definitely grabbed me was the new urge overkill this mm, year. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. We on, we on omnivore, very cool record. Uh, great to see these guys, you know, putting out material again and it just is classic. Yeah. Like there's, there's a few licks or a few vocal nuances where you're just like, oh yeah, that's, that's the urge I want to hear. Yeah. So I don't know if this is. I'm going to maybe say this is archival and I'll get to it in a second, but um, I'll finish out my honorable mentions from 2022 with um, the two releases from Rick White. Rick White plays the Sadies and his new hardcore band, Old, both on uh, Blue Fog. You got to check that one out, or both of those out, I should say. Uh, great tribute to Dallas and the Sadies on that Rick White record, if you haven't heard that one. Yeah. Yeah, I checked them both out on the Bandcamp. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, here we go with some reissues and archival. Mike Adams made uh, the top 10 for me this year, but he also uh, re-released the Oscillate Wisely record on Joyful Noise. Mike Adams, at his honest weight, one of his earlier records and still amazing, amazing uh, lyrics, vocals, harmonies, um, just when they even kicked it. So you know all their records are good. Uh, Blatant Descent, the collection out on Alona's Dream Records. This is pre-Tar. Definitely check that one out. Bum, the amazing, classic pop-punk record. Wanna Smash Sensation was reissued on Radiation Records. Check that one out. Great to see that one back in print. Yeah. Uh, Crown Hate Ruin, an, another Discord-adjacent or Discord-proper band, depending on how you look on it, which uh, formation of which members. But uh, a singles collection out on B-Core Disc. Get that one. Eric's Trip, Elevator to Hell, Elevator, Elevator Through, tons of reissues on Blue Fog Records. There was the Gun Club 7-inch box set, Preaching the Blues, Just Killer. Um, The Hated record we've mentioned on the show, Best Piece of Shit on Numero. Also on Numero, a ton of karate reissues, including a box set on Numero, so you know the packaging is amazing. Um, Out on Scat, the My Dad is Dead POW 12-inch gets its uh, kind of its own release as intended originally which is very cool and then the and he's not going to take it anymore was reissued by scat very cool to see scat like back at it and uh, also on scat i mentioned this uh, was out on cassette but now also on vinyl is the spike in vain jesus was born in a mobile home record out on scat um overwhelming color fast their self-titled record was reissued one of my fave like uh, grungy punk bands from the 90s uh, maybe getting a bit more recognition finally to uh, see that record reissued very cool 
Polvo, their classic for me, classic in Prism record on Merge was reissued. That record just gives me the feels every single time. Love Polvo. Also out on B Core Disc, the same label that that issued that Crown Hate Ruin collection, Regulator Watts. The Aesthetics of No Drag record was reissued there. Um, and Brent, uh, by the way, Mofo's in town. He's uh, coming to cover a skate comp at the Manor, so make sure you check out the Riot 303 uh, archival release that came out on Supreme Echo. Right. If you want to, if you want to thrash on the half pipe, got to check that one out. Yeah. Um, there was also the replacements unsuitable for airplay, kind of already came out the year before, but but got to mention that as a standalone. Also um, has been reissued before. But finally, in an amazing deluxe double LP box set, the classic Rival Schools United by Fate record. Love that. Um, I mentioned the Salmon Blaster retrospective on Yeah Right that came out this year. This is uh, grungy can rock. Love it. Uh, Sloy, the album Plug. This is French noise rock, finally reissued. That stuff's been really hard to find. I hope they reissue all of the Sloy catalog. I mentioned the live acoustic Strummer EP that came out. There was also the Strummer 002 box set, the Mescaleros years. Definitely get that one. Uh, These Arms Are Snakes released the Duct Tape and Shivering Crows double LP on Suicide Squeeze. Great to see that one come out. Jackpot continuing its uh, Wipers issuing campaign reissued the Over the Edge LP as a double LP. Extra tracks that we've kind of had elsewhere before but still a cool package mm-hmm. an official release by wires pink flag of a boot called not about to die cool to get that collection out and then uh, wrapping up in the reissues and archival section on the zappa front we've got the zappa waka wazoo box set the zappa eerie box and the zappa zagreb double cd nothing says zappa like 15 Frank Zappa CDs. <laughs> and that's it. Lots of great stuff this year, man. Yeah. Yeah. Another year of amazing new music. Just, you know, I think we've maybe uh, officially cleared the backlog of pandemic recordings. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Some of my favorite bands have already announced releases for 2023, too. So love it, man. Yeah. Right on. Should we get into the mini plot? I am right. History lesson. Part one. No laugh? No laugh for that? (laughs) All right, here we go. Final release of the year. It's SST-234, the mini plot, three-inch CD, a companion release to a comp that we'll get to next year, SST-249, the melting plot. This record is uh, four songs, three of which are from that comp on a three-inch CD. So again, Brad, can't help but think that this is a bit mersh, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it came, I'm guessing this came out after yeah. the Melting Plot. I would agree because when you look at the catalogs, yeah. Melting Plot is in there, Mini Plot not quite making an appearance yet. So they probably, when they found, when Greg Inn and crew were like, hey, check this out, three inch CDs. Yeah. What can we make, you know, out of three inch CDs? And they just were looking at what's hot off the press. And they said, let's do this. We've got a track left over from the Melting Plot sessions. Go for it. Well, that's SST for you, man. Like, I I was trying to think back. This might be the only release we've seen so far that, or the the re, one of the releases that was only came out on on three inch. 
Like m- a lot of them, like the Brian Ritchie stuff, for example, came yeah. on a cassette or 12 inch EP also. Isn't there a Henry Kaiser one though? That's three inch only. If that is, we haven't gotten to it yet. We haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you'll hear more about this in the interview. Melting Plot though was supposed to be a fundraiser or benefit of sorts for Dave Markey's next film. And we had Dave on the show on episode 57, the Painted Willie Mind Bowling record. He was, of course, the drummer in that band. Dave is also known for his filmmaking, like such as the slog movie Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, which uh, the soundtrack is SST 72. Uh, Love Doll Superstar, the sequel, SST 62 was the soundtrack there. 1991, The Year Punk Broke. And then, of course, the amazing Circle Jerks documentary, My, My Career as a Jerk. Now, Dave also started the We Got Power Zine with Alan Gilbert and Jordan Schwartz, who was on our show for episode 70, the Seven Inch Wonders of the World compilation. And together with Jordan's sister, Jennifer Schwartz, they really started that zine, We Got Power, that Dave, Alan, Jordan, and Jennifer. So Ground Zero, LA Punk. And uh, again, so cool to have Jennifer on the show to, uh, to share what that was like. Um, Jennifer ended up being the leader of the Love Dolls band and starred in the Teenage Love Dolls movie in 84 and its sequel, Love Dolls Superstar in 86. Um, and then, of course, the Love Dolls band appeared on the uh, the soundtrack for Love Dolls Superstar SST 62. Jennifer also appeared in some Raymond Pettibone films as well. I've, I've got one of them here. Um, she appeared in the Book of Manson, but also this one, Citizen Tanya. Uh, I've got a VHS copy of it on provisional. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these, Brand. No, no but, never. But they are far out. I've got a few Pettibone uh, VHS tapes. I don't have Book of Manson. That might be a might be a DVD only one, but but ch- check out uh, here. Here are Jennifer's co-stars in this movie, Citizen Tanya. Okay, Pat Ruth and Smear, Des Kadena. Dave Markey, Shannon Smith, Lance Pettibone, Joe Cole, Jordan Schwartz, O.E. Pettibone, and Nelson Tarpany. Um, just a wild, wild movie. Um, we'll have to check it out when you come here. <laughs> Maybe uh, when you come here, when you come here to watch the uh, the Jam Bang DVD at my house, we'll <laughs> we'll we'll pop this one in the VHS. Uh, I bet it's better than the Jam Bang one. Uh, maybe, just yeah. maybe. Uh, Jennifer, of course, in addition to being a member of the Love Dolls and starring in many films um, by made by Marky and Pettibone, uh, also owned a record store, worked at Capitol Records, was an editor of a music magazine, and has been a digital developer or digital strategy professional for over 20 years, working for companies such as Disney or the Food Network. And as you'll hear in the interview, Jennifer also became a VP of digital at Fender, head of the digital product team who developed some apps like Fender Play, Fender Tone, Fender Tune. Uh, very, very cool career and um, just amazing where Jennifer started way back, way back with the SST and We Got Power crew. And now she is, uh, you know, helping all these people out there learn how to play music. Amazing. Yeah. A bit weird for me to get that we're getting back into the spinhead painted Willie, we got power kind of territory. It, it like, it just seems like so long ago, but it just kind of shows you, you know, on the podcast, I mean, that we were talking about that stuff. It just kind of shows you what a condensed 
you know, period of time we're actually talking about, even though it seems like so long for us, if that makes sense. You know, like this came out, this EP came out in 1988, same with the Painted Willie Relics comp came out in 88. You know, I know Dave Markey has spoken about screening a completed version of Reality 86th for Gin as late as 1991 when he completed it. Um, so obviously Dave and Greg had some sort of relationship at, at least as late as the, as 1991. Yeah. I guess, you know, in my mind, I kind of thought, uh, you know, of this, we got power crew and scene, um, and bands have uh, kind of having maybe severed ties with SST by this point in time, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I mean, I can't help but think it may be, you know, it's maybe a symptom of one of those Hollywood LA stories that you hear where, you know, sometimes you got to make a deal with the devil to get your artwork out there. Yeah, maybe not. I'm not saying anyone's a devil, but you know, if you need someone to help you get your art out there, sometimes, you know, uh, you forgive, yeah. put it that put it that way. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's throw it over to, to the interview with Jennifer. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Jennifer Schwartz. Jennifer, thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show. Oh, right on. Well, I can't believe it's taken us this many episodes to to get you on the show, but happy oh, to... Oh, <laughs> I've been waiting for my invite, so I'm so thrilled to get it. Right on. Okay, so let's go back to um, Santa Monica High. That's where you went to high school. That's right. Went to high school in Santa Monica High School. Grew up um, all Southern California, all around. So yeah, that's where that's where all the magic started to happen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the magic. I just have this vision in my mind of like you and Dave Markey and and your brother Jordan and the McDonald brothers just having the time of your lives. Bearing up the eighties. Oh yeah. So <laughs> um, it kind of started that way. It turns out we moved, we moved to Santa Monica, my brother and I probably around, I think 78 or 79. Um, one day there's a knock at the door and this weird guy who we had been warned about at the skate shop is like, Hey, do you want to be in my movie? And I'm like, I don't know, 13 years old. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, so that was Dave Markey. He was already at 15. He had a, um, a local pre-fanzine. Um, it was like a local neighborhood um, magazine and also had been making uh, feature-length movies uh, at, at the ripe old age of 15. So um, Jordan and I locked right in and uh, we've been friends ever since. Um, so it was it was from that, that sort of meetup that we started like slowly dipping our toe into different things in music and um, finding record stores, taking the bus to Westwood and finally venturing into Hollywood where, you know, that's where we really found our, found our place. Mm -hmm. I feel like every friend group of creative people has the person that gets shit done. And it seems like Dave, Dave was was that person. (laughs) I mean, his room, uh, even back then he lived in the little two bedroom apartment with his mom. Um, who was very Scottish and very traditional, I'll say. And then in Dave's room, it was, first of all, covered of punk punk rock flyers. Um, but he had like his, um, you know, like a, a film editing machine, which was like two reels that he would thread film through and splice it on the actual film cut. Then he'd also have his paste-up boards for his magazines and fanzines um, and everything else, and a band on right. top of all of that. Right, yeah. yeah. 
uh, you mentioned the skate shop. I'm assuming you mean Rip City. You worked That's there. That's right. That's right. I, that was my first job. I would change. I put the um, trucks on real, uh, roller skates um, at the time. I did it for a buck a pair, and each dollar would be traded in for four quarters so I could play um, pinball or, or um, Space Invaders. Mm. I was a very early gamer. Yeah. Obsessed. yeah. <laughs> I see Jordan on Instagram still hanging out there. He must have maintained some <laughs> friendships. Yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. So like when you first, you know, what grade would you have been in when you first started hanging out with Dave and getting really interested in, in like punk rock bands? Uh, about ninth grade. So I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14. So I'm younger than the both of them. They're older than me. So I was like the little sister kind of tag along. Um, but like I said, we kind of edged our way in. K-Rock had just started the radio station and they were playing things like, uh, I guess, New Wave, you know, um, hit me with your rhythm sticks type stuff that sounded very edgy to us. And that sounded so um, so different from what everything else we had heard. And being that young, it was like, OK, what is this? And then we kept going farther. And then we found a neighborhood record store and started helping ourselves to some, you know, British imports of punk rock. Um, then when, you know, everyone probably tells the story of discovering Rodney on the Rock on K-Rock late on Friday and Saturday nights, that's when everybody came together and solidified at least my era. You know, again, I was younger than um, a lot of the other more established sort of bands. I was still getting into it. So at, at 13, 14, 15, that's when I started with, you know, Rodney on the Rock and, um, you know, Circle Jerks, TSOL, you know, uh, Social Distortion, those kinds of bands. Yeah. Did you know about any of that? Like, or are you crediting Rodney to kind of hipping you to the to the local scene? Yeah, it, was like, it, it feels so old timey. Like, I feel like it should have that old time voice of a of a radio, of a newsreel where we all sat around, literally waiting for Rodney to start on a Friday and Saturday night. And we'd have tape recorders and we'd tape whatever he'd play because that was the only way to really find out about this music. And that's, that's what we do. And he was the one who shepherded us into um, all of this great stuff. Without him, I, I don't know how we would have found it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you're kind of transitioning out of like whatever you you were in, or, you know, whatever you're yeah, into, like, right? Uh, I was really into like ska, you know, madness, specials, um, even like the pretenders I thought was super edgy, you know, that kind of stuff. Like right. B-52s, I loved them. Um, then I remember that moment when I heard it was the Adolescence Amoeba when I was like, what? What is this? This yeah. is totally different. Yeah. So so then you, you, you and that group of friends, you start going to see this stuff. Yeah, well, we tried. You know, it was, again, it wasn't that easy. You know, how are you going to find these shows? You know, we didn't have a car or anything. Right. So, um, you know, we'd start, like, taking the bus to Westwood, which was like a college town near UCLA, and trying to find punk rock shows and parties there. And then someone tipped us off to Okie Dogs, which was a little farther down uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. And then, you know, from there to the Whiskey and to the Roxy. And then, you know, you'd be standing going to a show or going to Okie Dogs and someone would hand you a flyer and you'd get the flyer and you're like, okay, well now now we know where we're going. And so one thing led to another. And, um, you know, it was a small community then. So we would um, be able to pick up rides because like I said, none of us had cars. But like the Sacrum Trust guys, you'd see them after a show at Okie Dogs and they'd always give us a ride back to Santa Monica. We'd pile in their van. Um, you know, people were, were good like that. Um, so that's how it happened. Yeah. Okay. So like who were your bands? Who were who were your favorite bands? Local Definitely, ones? Definitely. Um, 
Red Cross was my all-time favorite band. Um, still are. They're they're great. Um, I love Minutemen, of course. Um, Saccharin. A lot of the SST bands we'd go to see all the time. Meat Puppets, I loved. Of course, Black Flag. Um, those were the ones that I would see no matter where they were playing. Like we would go see Black Flag any show that was within a 500 mile radius. So I was like 15 years old and they used to have red eye flights from LA to San Francisco uh, for 25 bucks at midnight. So, you know, do the light of the moms scrounge up $25 and we could fly to San Francisco and see black flag at the on Broadway, you know, at 20 at 15 years old or to Arizona or to San Diego. So wherever it was, um, we would just get there. Tell me about meeting your friend, Kim Pilkington. So Kim Pilkington, I met her at Santa Monica High School. So she was a little bit older than me and friends with Dave. But I, I met her when when I first met her or saw her. I was going up the staircase. She was going down. And she was dressed all in black with like a bleach blonde power shag and a huge white velvet floor length cloak with a hood and a dagger um, on her belt. And she was um, screaming and singing Paint It Black at the top of her lungs. I'm like, oh my God, who, who is that? Um, so she um, and I became friends first and foremost because she had a car. So she was like the first of our friends who actually had a car. So we would pile in her little um, gremlin. She had a little red gremlin. And we would pile 10 people in there and um, she would take us, you know, to whatever show was happening that night, any night of the week, off we went. And that's when um, we became really good friends. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you want to go into, into this, but it sounds like the two of you got pretty wild. We did. Yeah. She, <laughs> but again, she was the instigator. Obviously I, I was always like wearing like my skate t-shirt, you know, my like Rip City t-shirt and Levi's and that was it. I kept it real on the down low. I didn't like the attention. She, on the other hand, loved the attention. So she, um, she would get me into a lot of situations and I was sort of that, that kind of sidekick who was like, hey, ain't me, you know, I'm just here with her, um, which was fun. I got to experience a lot, everything from like, um, you know, a lot of interesting back scene, backstage scenarios and, and, you know, running around. She'd love to, um, you know, hang out with a lot of bands, rehearsals. Um, so everything and anything you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Dave has talked about Slash and Flipside kind of being the inspiration behind the idea to start the We Got Power zine. Would you... Yeah. That, do you yeah, agree with exactly. that? Well, well, like I said, Dave was already doing his like neighborhood journal, what it was called. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a stretch for us to start a, a, a actual fanzine. And once we realized um, if you did a fanzine, um, people would send you their promo um, records and you could get into shows. Then it was, you know, then it was a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. And you, you had to interview bands and like we hosted. um like DOA, their first trip to Los Angeles, um, they they crashed at, at one of our friends' house, so we took them to the beach for the first time. Same with Husker Du. Wow. Um, so we were sort of the um, the welcoming committee for a lot of touring bands because of the because of we got power. Right, right, yeah. Well, back then, you know, that was the connection. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just come into town. We'll uh, you know show you around and crash on uh, like. The, the the amount of bands that like slept in my my parents bed when they were out of town like hey you can sleep in my mom's bed go ahead okay yeah so what were you personally uh primarily doing 
It like it seems um, like Jordan was taking a lot of the photos. What was kind of Jordan your was taking thing photos. There? I was doing interviews. Kim and I were doing mostly interviews. So we interviewed a lot of bands. We did some together. I did some on my own um, and show reviews. And I would write some of the the interior jokes and games and puzzles and some of the you know yeah the the other stuff. It was a little bit gossipy, I think. Yes, yes, and do the gossip poem for sure. I like that yeah. about it, though. Yeah, it definitely had um, a more kind of not so serious, you know, point of view. But you know, I think that was like the age we were and what we were doing. You know, we were kids, so. Yeah. Do you have a favorite interview that you did? It's so funny because I remember so few of them, but somebody reminded me that I interviewed um, Suicidal Tendencies really early on. It was me and Kim at their rehearsal studio in Venice, and I had totally forgotten about it. Um, and then we printed the interview, and I can't remember what got edited out, but um, Dave cut something out of the interview. And so Dave and I went to go see um, The Misfits in TSOL at some you know, random place in some really sketchy neighborhood. And, and Mike Muir was there and he he calls out Dave and he says, I, I need to talk to you. You know, I, I, I'm upset about this interview. So oh boy. we were like tripping on acid going, what what's going to happen now? Um, everything was fine. I think he was just upset about the way the, the interview came out. But I had forgotten entirely about all of that until he reminded me about it recently. Hmm. Yeah, this was a gig in Watts. That's right. Yeah. It was in Watts and there was a riot. And um, yeah, it was not a good place for a 15-year-old girl to be on acid, but it was fun, memorable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you remember about making Desperate Teenage Love Dolls? Like, was it made over the course of a summer, months, longer, like a year? It took a couple months. So um, how it started was Dave and I were hanging out and... Um, you know, by then I was a big, huge fan of Red Cross. And you know, when you're young and you get into a band, you want to know about everything that they like, right. you know, then you find out what are their inspirations. And so I started getting into like Russ Meyer films and um, Beyond the Valley, The Dolls and Faster Pussycat and uh, John Waters movies. And of course, I was already into TV and like kitsch culture, which wasn't a thing then, of course, this was like, or I was still in high school, so maybe 80 or 81. Right. So, um, you know, Dave had already made feature films under his belt using neighborhood codes. I said, let's make a movie and let's like, let's, let's make it like a John Waters film or a Russ Myers film. Um, but use our friends and, um, kind of exploit our, our musical friends and make it more of like a rock and roll kind of cheesy, kitschy, um, fun movie. Um, I had the I was the only one with a job. I worked at the Pioneer Boulangerie, which was a French deli. So I actually had a, got a paycheck and I would take that paycheck, literally hand it the money to Dave. We would go to the local drugstore to buy those eight track. Sorry, the uh, Super 8 film. And that's how I funded for $250 um, Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. Okay. Well, I think you definitely succeeded with your with your original vision for sure. Um, That's right. Yeah. So the what came first, the the movie or the idea to start this all girl band? Oh, definitely the movie. So that we, we were all about making the movie. That was fun. The, the band came much later. So the band came after the movie was released, and Kim Pilkington wanted to start a band. So it was just a natural, obvious thing that you know, why not make it the Love Dolls? And why doesn't she play guitar? And um, originally, you know, Jeff and Steve Mc 
or Steve McDonald would play bass and Janet, who was in Red Cross at the time, played drums. So it was kind of like a, a, a mixture of like Red Cross plus Love Dolls. And we did a lot of um, songs that Jeff had written for the Love Dolls for the band. So we had a set. We had half a band, you know. Right. It was already there. Yeah. Made it pretty easy. Yeah. I feel like the scene where Kim's shooting up in the movie kind of wasn't a stretch. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. That was in my bathroom um, at my parents' house. <laughs> and again, if you could see, I'm there like holding her off. Like right. I never did anything. I always, I was like there like, oh, here, do you want me to like, uh, you know, load your syringe or whatever? But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was a little bit much. But at the time, I don't know what the hell was wrong with us, but we thought that was fun and funny, just as funny as throwing a brick at a cop, you right. know, it, or spray painting on the wall of the school in the middle of the day, like, or shoplifting or, oh boy, isn't this fun? Or, you know, shooting drugs. It was right. all like, huh, what a, what a lark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's before the drug epidemic and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And before you could really get caught or there was any consequences. I mean, yeah, we got, we got pulled over a lot, but we, I never got arrested. Right. I claimed the thing. Yeah. Uh, this notorious story that Henry Rollins tells about taking acid with Kim, I I believe yeah. you were you were witness to some of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I was there. So um, yeah, that's a great story for anyone who doesn't know what what you're referencing. It's on YouTube. If you search for Henry Rollins' first acid trip, he has a whole spiel about taking acid for the first time with Kim, and he nails Kim so perfectly. Like he really in in this short little vignette of maybe ten or fifteen minutes, he really can in detail explain the insanity that that woman was at, at that age and how he just made Henry feel like a like a little suburban kid from you know the country <laughs> dealing with Kim Pilkington so right. that's how like how um how you could how one could get caught up with her so I was there with them um I would definitely take acid too but we would go to I remember the first time um Henry wanted something to eat so we went to this little ice cream parlor called Swenson's and and um you know, he's just tripping out and laughing and, you know, not knowing what's happening. And I never forget the guy, the person who served the food, it was like a grilled cheese sandwich or something. And he had taken one of those American flags with a, with a toothpick right. and um, blacked it out and put the bars on it. And he was just so freaked out because here we are. He didn't, you know, black flag was huge. And here, obviously, someone in the kitchen knew who he was. Right. Um, that was a funny moment. I saved that flag. I had it for a long time. I don't still have it, but I kept it for Wow. Okay, so the original version of the Desperate Te uh, Teenage Love Dolls original soundtrack came out on Gasatanka Records. So, you know, I know Dave's making a documentary. I don't want to spoil it, but I have to ask you about Bill Bartell. Yeah, so um, I met Bill Bartell at a White Flag show with the Troubadour very early on. Um, so... I don't know, I must have been 14 or 15. And so he was on stage with White Flag and he had T-shirts and he was, um, you know, he was handing out T-shirts. So he handed me a T-shirt um, off of the stage. So we became friends after that and had been friends, stayed friends until he he passed away. But yeah, so he did Gasatanka Records. I was also in the Tater Tots, which was his super group right. of um, doing Yoko Ono covers. So I got the, uh, I got the honor of being Yoko Ono um, in a, 20 minute noise jam at Beetle Fest um, and getting booed off the stage and almost um, beaten up by very angry Beetle fans. Yeah, that that's an amazing story. That yeah. <laughs> about oh, like... there's also video footage of that. That lives on YouTube too. 
if I'm remembering the story right, you know, he didn't tell any of the participa participants yeah. what his plan was. <laughs> no, and, and imagine like here we come up, it was um, me and, and Dave Markey and, and Steve McDonald of Red Cross and randomly Jimmy McNichol amid like, you know, little mop tops doing I want to hold your hand. And, and oddly enough, there was this one guy who was doing like imaginary John Lennon, you know, with the white suit and the white hat and the long beard um, playing on a piano. And he was playing right after us. And as we were physically escorted off the stage, he looked at me and he pushed me and he called me a a slut. Like, like what the fuck, John Lennon, dude? Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, it was weird. It got violent. It got scary, but it was fun. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any strong recollections about making the sequel, Love Doll Superstar? Yeah. So that came afterward. Um, and that once we had a little you know, momentum from the first one, surprisingly, because we thought it would just be a fun film, but it, it got some attention. Um, then we set out to do the second one. And, and that's uh, that got a little easier because we were able to reference the first one. So we got like Jello Biafra as the president of the United States. And yeah. um, sadly, we were about to get the Minutemen to record for the soundtrack um, before, like in December, right before um, Dennis got in the car accident. So, right. so we had a lot that was building momentum for the second one. Yeah. I assume like, you know, there's a song on there written by Kim. Uh, now that I've tasted blood and and yeah. and Janet's drumming by this point, I assume that kind of dovetailed into the Love Dolls, you know, exactly. becoming a more a real band. Oh, oh in quotes, real in band. quotes, real band. Yes, yeah. but you <laughs> did play shows. Yeah, oh yeah, we did play shows. We went on tour. We would play. Um, we would. Dave would set up tours. Well, Jordan was working at SST then, um, and so he was doing uh, like global booking. So he would book a tour we did an east coast tour opening up for the movie so dave would show the movie and we would oh, perform yeah. afterward um yeah. so we did tours of that we did that up in san francisco and throughout la so um we also would play with red cross um uh opening for other bands too when i watch the movies i just can't help but think it must be so fun to watch now if you do i don't know if you do and just see all of your friends and like all of those hangout locations documented like that everybody's you know cool. everybody's apartments and everything it is and also thinking about how you know you know when you're growing up especially at that age when i started at 14 15 going to see black flag Minutemen any given night of the week you know i thought that's what life would be like oh yeah of course i'm gonna go see <laughs> the cramps on monday and go see the ramones on friday yeah sure um, and that we could film anywhere we wanted to, you know, on the Hollywood sign at the Santa Monica Pier, what, what, these like iconic images that were just our backyard. Um, you, you, you take it all for granted. Yeah. So when I look at it now, not only do I, I, I miss like those those days, but I also realize like, God, I had it so good. You know, I didn't even know it. I didn't even care. Like I didn't even like had I known what what wait, I'm not going to be able to see Black Flag for the rest of my life? What? They're going to... I don't understand that. So, yeah, I look at my how naive we were and how special it was. And it was a moment in time um, and, a, and, a, and a capsule, a time capsule that I, I, I do get to watch and remember what it was like. And then at a certain point, I, I think the Love Dolls actually made an album. I'm not sure. Were you involved in that or was that Lisa no, Freeman? No, no, I was out of the band by then. So I, by the time I graduated college and around... 88, which is when Melting Plot, around when that was happening. So I'd just gotten out of school. 
and I wasn't, I left the Love Dolls. They went on to, you know, get other singers and do other stuff. But yeah, I, I wasn't part of that. Okay, so you mentioned the melting plot. Now, Dave assembled assembled this compilation. Do you, like, what was kind of the the concept behind the release? I think well, it's I, like, I, I, it's all covers, right? Yeah, it's all covers. I had to call Dave today to ask, to, to remind me. I was like, wait, wasn't this a benefit? And it turns out, yes, it was set up as a benefit for Dave, like early, early crowdsourcing, if you will, so he could make his next movie. Mm. So um, SST put it out and film, it was mostly recorded and i listened to it this morning um and most of it was recorded at spinhead studios phil newman's studio so it has that real spinhead sound and talk about a moment in time like late 80s phil newman's studio at that moment like um l7's on it and that's the first first time l7 went into the studio it was a different drummer and that was her first recording um the band i love you who went on to sign with was it Geffman or Virgin? One of yeah. the two. Um, that was their first recording too, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. that's uh, Vic, is it not? Vic and Drizzo, yeah. who was in Red Cross. Yeah, so there was like a there was a record distributor in town, um, a big one, and they were like one of the only uh, companies that would hire people with long hair back in the day, if you could imagine. You know, you couldn't get a job if you were a guy with long hair, but this record distributor would hire them. So it was Vic and Jeff. And um, Tate, the guy who did the album cover, and Fred Trio, who um, all worked at this one-stop uh, record distributor. So that's how we got to know each other. Um, and then Vic joined Red Cross, and then that opened up those doors and channels. Okay. So the record itself was a, a benefit. Like So it was he... said to be a benefit, yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody donated their time, and everybody got to pick a song. Dave curated the artists, so he picked the bands. Um and he kind of strung it together and made suggestions. You know, he specifically wanted Red Cross to do the Osmonds cover Crazy Horses because they had done it live or something like that. But everyone else, he, you know, let them do whatever they wanted to do. Okay, well, like it's SST. Did he get any money? <laughs> I feel like Dave would have told you that wait, today wait, if he wait. didn't. It, you just said, it's SST. Did he get any money? Right. I'll let you all right, we'll we'll move past that one. Um, <laughs> uh, well, he didn't make his next movie. Let's put it that way. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Revolution Four Hundred Nine is Red Cross. That's right. And there were some like they were on a label at that time, so there were some concerns about them recording. So, um, some artists went, and um, some bands went under different names, and Red Cross was one of them. Right. That makes sense. Okay. And your project, Jenny. So, I'm Project Jenny, yeah. Yeah, just for this, or was that something you were you were trying out? Uh, yeah, no, I was I was I was thinking about my solo career at the time. So, um, and I looked at the I looked at the listings, and I'm Jennifer in quotes Tiffany Schwartz. So when I was talking to Dave, I'm like, what what was that about? And at that time, I don't know. We were just I guess I was really into like Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. You know, that was the time when it was like. Um, I remember Guns N' Roses had just come out with Appetite for Destruction, and then he had all those teen pop bands emerging. So there was a lot of weird right. and stuff going on at that moment. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Chicone Youth and all that kind of... <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. Okay. So uh, why the song Bo- Boogie Fever? Because um, I had that single when I was a kid. I was a big Silvers fan. Like, who likes the Silvers? And so Dave wanted me to do a cover. Um, and, you know, I was... I had Red Cross, most of them behind me, backing me up so I could do whatever I wanted. Um, and so we were trying out a few things. And then um, Robert 
Pecker had got one of those synth guitars right, and he yeah. could not put it down. <laughs> he was obsessed with it. So um, we started jamming that one and it just came out and I knew every word, every nuance because I had listened to that single over and over and over as a kid. So it was true to me. I don't I don't know if Dave is really into that, but um, I, I felt it. I was feeling it. Yeah. They were a local band, too. Were they? I think so. The Silvers? I thought so. I could be oh, wrong. No. I, you know, I haven't done my deep Silvers um, <laughs> dive. <laughs> okay. Uh, was there like a release show? Did you, you know, where no, a bunch no, of these bands no, played? I, or I don't remember doing any release shows or any specific promotions. And he, he said, no, there wasn't. And I don't remember anything. So we did the album um, and... You know, Phil was pretty much the mastermind behind a lot of that. Like he put, he was there for most of it. Dave was in and out. I was in and out. So, um, so it was a lot of, of Phil's hard work and effort. So um, once it was done, SST released it and, and that was it. Hmm. Okay. Well, was that the end of Project Jenny? I think I did one other recording with, um, I think, I no, I, I think there's some more tape out there that lives um, some other <laughs> some other tracks. But yeah, it was a short lived project. Yeah. With Red Cross. Uh, yeah. Well, it's big. I can't remember. But yeah, par- mostly. Probably. I think I have the, the, the tape around here somewhere. Probably. Okay. And you you kept working in the business after that. Did you own a record okay. store at one point? Yep, owned a punk rock record store called Destroy All Music um, that was in Silver Lake. Um, I worked for Capital for a little while, um, then Live Nation for a while, and most recently I worked at Fender Guitars um, doing their digital uh, software development. Um, yeah, so I kind of I kind of stayed in it most of the time, in and out. But okay, tell me about your record store. Um, well, actually, I have to give credit to my um, ex, Charles uh, Arjavac. He was the mastermind behind it. So it was, you know, just what you would imagine, a small storefront in Silver Lake with bins of vinyl, smelly vinyl. And, you know, people would come and go. And uh, it was, we also had a mail order business, too, to support that. We had a, um, a side business there. Yeah, it was a great store um, while it lasted. And, um, you know, like most people who own record stores, you know, you have to make money one day. So you you give it up. But we we were able to sell it, which is phenomenal. Uh, We didn't just have to close it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What'd you do at Capital? Uh, I worked for their distribution arm. Um, So this was a time when... um, Capital had, uh, who was it, like SBK and EMI and Chrysalis. So it was a lot of, um, a lot of like big, big pop albums were popular then. So I was doing marketing and distribution for them. Mm -hmm. Nothing I really believed in that didn't last long. Yeah. And at Fender, you're, if I have this right, you're, you were in charge of like creating digital content mainly. Um, actually creating their digital software products. So I launched um, a, two or three apps, including Fender Play, which is um, an uh, a, a guitar learning app. So, you know, I got to the company like, oh, we want to start something digital. So I was able to develop um, a, an app that helped people play guitar from like their first chord to playing um, riffs. So it was kind of great as a per- per- perpetual beginning uh, guitar player. I could really like design it with empathy um, and yeah. understand. 
And I also produced a live show. We had um, Fender Play Live, which was um, I'd bring in artists um, to talk about, you know, whatever, playing guitar or whatever the theme was. And I had um, Thurston Moore come in and play. Um, He did a live set and um, Steve McDonald came on. So I I got to pull in some of my friends from the past to do the Fender Live show. Right. Yeah. I, I bet that app like really spiked in downloads during the pandemic. It was huge. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, it took off. And they smartly, they gave it away for free. Yeah. And it took off. And it, um, they also offered it up to LAUSD students um, who were stuck inside for the summer and sent them guitars. So it was a really great moment. It was a really kind of coming full circle for me to go like, God, now I get to really um, help people bring more music in a, in, a, in a broader, learn music and play music in a broader way. So it was, it was cool. Yeah. And I think you know, on a personal level, you kind of had a a little side project of trying to focus focus on getting more women and girls involved in guitar playing. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big part. And, you know, having been in the music industry for a long time and a woman um, in tech and the music industry, it's like the double, the double dare. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's been tough, you know, it's not always easy, but, you know, there was this moment a couple of years ago when all of a sudden it wasn't about, oh, girl bands or, you know, women in music. It was like, no, it was just everybody. And that was like, oh, thank God. And when I was at Fender, when I first started within the first year, they had done some market research and the market researchers came back and said that 53% of all new guitars were sold to women. And I was like, boom, right there. That's all I needed. I just needed that one data point to go like, this is your if you want growth, you yeah. you've got to target women and you got to speak to women and you got to include women and not just like here's our woman in music, but really um, integrated into the entire experience, which I, of course, was like more than ready to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, not just playing guitar, but gender parity in music is it's a it's a admirable goal. And and I would say, like, you know, I, I've been promoting bands locally here where I live for 23 years and it is insane how many women and girls have started bands it's it's incredible and it like I said it's not even the thing anymore it's just it is it just it's it's everywhere and it just you know it thrills me to no end to see that finally finally agreed Jennifer thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today I really appreciate it my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And um, I'll keep listening. So thanks for the good stuff. I awesome. appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoying it. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Awesome. Awesome. And hey, we didn't get uh, jammed this week <laughs> either. No negative land jamming yeah, this thank- week. So thankfully. We, we, made, we made it to the latter half of the show. Wow. So cool. Like I said, to have Jennifer on the show. Great stories. It sounds like there was lots of hijinks. All of these great ideas and uh, inspiration and wanting to do something about it and then just like actually figuring out the way to do it. So a lot of drive, a lot of creativity, lots of ingenuity. This is the DIY spirit back then. Yeah, totally. Yeah, super fun kind of revisiting this this era in a way for me. Do you want to get into this record or into this, I guess, (laughs) three-inch CD? Sure. History Lesson, Part 2. So like you said, Ryan, we'll be hearing three of these four tracks again on the Parent album. Um, yep. There's one exclusive track, which is just so SST. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've When I listen to this three-inch CD, I'm just going, oh, God. 
how do we pick how do we pick a ballot result from this one too right yeah um but anyways track number one is by revolution 409 which is essentially and as you mentioned in the interview red cross it's steve and jeff mcdonald Vic and drizzo and robert hecker um this song crazy horses originally done by the osmonds off an album by the same name on MGM Records from 1972. This song was apparently banned in many countries because they thought it was about smoking weed or heroin or something. <laughs> it's actually about pollution, though. And if you actually look at the picture sleeve for the Crazy Horses record, that's pretty obvious. But it's back in the, you know, super paranoia era of of banning anything that said smoke in it, I guess. Um, I don't know. Did you check out any of the YouTube videos of the Osmonds playing this song? No, not YouTube videos, but I checked out this album and it's actually really good. Like th- this was their, their kind of, you know, their breakaway album from, be- from being a boy band. It was like their rock record and they're just like, and this song in particular, they're just working the theremin. Like, yeah, it's, it's I don't think it's a theremin actually. Well, I, it's, it's, it's that, it's that little, uh, thing along the top of your keyboard. Yeah. There's that little uh, ribbon. It's it's not technically a theremin, but I think it works on a. It's it's more of a touch principle than a proximity principle like a theremin. So you're right. Yeah, no big shocker that the McDonald brothers were covering the Osmonds, though. Hey, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, you gotta check out the YouTube video of the Osmonds playing the song. They're they're shucking and jiving so hard. The bell bottoms, <laughs> the bell bottoms are just flying. You gotta check that out. Yeah, this is an awesome lineup of Red Cross too. This is the the lineup that would go on to to make the awesome 1990 album Third Eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a, and it's a pretty faithful cover. They give yeah. it the Red Cross treatment. Um, in fact, on the four tracks, it's one of the most faithful covers. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. The Red Cross version starts with someone tuning a radio to all hit radio. And this track also opens the the parent album, by the way. Uh, that big, weird uh, synth part uh, that sounds like a theremin on the original, it's actually an organ, I think, with a wah pedal hooked up to it. Um, on the melting plot, Robert Hecker is credited with guitar synth. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's what they used for, for their version. Huh. Uh, uh, this has that cool live sound that Phil Newman got at Spinhead. Um, with a with a few exceptions on the parent album, most of it was recorded at Spinhead. All right, moving right along then to the next track. It's I Am Right by Sonic Youth. Of course, originally done by Saccharin Trust off the Pagan Icons record, SST06. You want to talk about going back to the good old days of You Don't Know Mojack. Wow. Yeah, that was, S- our, that was our ballot result pick, by the way. I Am Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, this is actually... Uh, Brant knows that I was screwing up relentlessly this week in, uh, because I, I didn't get to around to actually uh, doing my homework until late in the week for the show. Um, but there is, there's this track and it's called the, I am right. Goofy mix on the three inch. It's called the goofy mix, Yeah. but on the CD, there's just, I am right twice. And I'm like, Oh, this is an exclusive track to the three inch CD, but it's not. Yeah. It's just not credited as the Goofy Mix on the full length. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a, a mashup, Sonic Youth. It, it could have been like, you know, it just 
I can't help but think it's kind of like Master Dick, Chicone Youth type of stuff. It totally not, is, yeah. Yeah, not the greatest uh, rendition of I Am Right, if you ask me. No, it's just like a 30-second snippet of a vocal line of Thurston, basically, that's manipulated. Yeah. Uh, likely by Wharton Tears. This was the the uh, full version was recorded at, at his studio in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Not, I'm, I'm thinking not my ballot result pick, but we'll see. We'll yeah, see. Maybe yeah. not. Uh, track number three is the actual exclusive track. It's Das Domin covering the Beatles with the track, Why Don't We Do It in the Road? This track is originally off of the Beatles' 1968 record, The White Album, on Apple Records. Um, it was written and sung by McCartney, although it is credited to Lennon and McCartney on the record. Lennon was apparently pissed that McCartney wrote and recorded it all himself. Um, but apparently, Why Don't We Do It In The Road, which is the main lyric repeated over and over in the song, was written about two monkeys copulating in the middle of the street in Rishikesh, India, that uh, McCartney observed once. Um, and and was kind of like, you know, there's so much... I, I, I can't remember how the, uh, the write-up about this song goes, but it's something along the lines of, you know, there's so much going on in the world, but these monkeys... Just go and do it in the middle of the road. They don't let anything bother them. So why not write a whole song about it, record it, and surprise John Lennon with it? Yeah. I believe, Ryan, this is the second time we've heard Doss Dahman cover the Beatles on the show, and it won't be the last. Um, the original is basically a 12-bar blues. The Dahman dudes do it as a bit of a, a dirge, I would say. Yeah. I love Doss Dahman. Don't really love this, though. Me either. And and I, it's not just a dirge, too. There's a bunch of, there's some there's some manipulation going on or tape layering, too. I can't tell what it is, but it's not the greatest. Yeah. There's no uh, credits on the 3-inch on the CD, but I assume this was also recorded at Wharton's studio, as was the, the track on, on the master release. Yeah, I would assume so, too. All right, and closing out the 3-inch CD is song number four. Uh, this is Project Jenny, Jennifer Schwartz, and Revolution 409 doing Boogie Fever, originally by the Silvers from their 1975 album Showcase on Capitol Records. This was a big hit. You've heard this song before. Kind of a, like, it kind of represents the start of, like, the really gross disco. This is like when 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 funky, dancey R&B was kind of morphing into gross, just barf-inducing disco. So it's not, it's not the bad disco just yet um but a catchy song and uh you know a pretty faithful rendition and and jennifer can sing too by the way yeah she really can jennifer can sing i was reading up on the silvers a little bit that's the the name of the family there's like uh 10 siblings in the family and nine did you see the (laughs) did you see the youtube videos for this song no wow just the outfits and the hair oh, and bet. the bell bottoms and everything yeah. for the Osmonds and the Silvers videos. You've got to check those I out. I will, yeah. Nine of the siblings were at, at various points in this band as well. Yeah. This is a fun, this is a fun version. Uh, the wrapped verse at the end. Uh, Jennifer's vocal is great. Um, recorded at Spinhead, of course. Yep. Uh, the cover art for the melting plot is amazing. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, until we get to to that release, uh, done by Tate Moisen, Mosian, who would have done the the lettering for this one as well. Yeah. The you know the the lettering's the same as on the the melting plot, and that little 
film reel on the cover is taken from a from the uh, insert artwork on the melting plot. Yeah. Um, and then the back of the jacket is just a, you know, orange color with black typeface. Look, looks kind of loose nut esque mm-hmm. almost for me. Um, when I got my three inch CD, I actually bought it in a three inch CD, like plastic long box huh. sealed. Yeah. So, so it also, I also got it with this thing, like the backing, oh, yeah. ca- the backing card for the three inch CD long box. We're going to have to post that. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to bring people to our Instagram. No feed. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the three inch CD itself, um, it's basically like the same info is on the back of the uh, the cardboard sleeve, but it also does have kind of the copyright uh, publishing info on there. You know, the Osmonds, Sestone, um, that type of stuff. Pretty bare bones. Yeah. Crank cranking it out with some, uh, you know, one unused track from the melting plot. Weird release, man. I can almost guarantee when when we, when we get to the melting plot, we'll be asking why they chose, you know. Some these of these tra- tracks. These tracks? Yeah. 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 I don't know. There are better songs on the melting plot. Or or even more likely we'll be asking why did this come out at all? At all. <laughs> <laughs> this not the melting plot, this three inch CD. We're not asking that right now? No. I mean, whatever, man. I'm all for it. I if I especially if Dave would have gotten the money. Yeah, yeah. Like he was supposed to, but it doesn't sound like that happened. I know shocker of twenty twenty two. Ballot result? Yeah. Ballot result. So my vote's for Project Jenny. Yeah, we got to go with that one, man. Boogie fever. You're in? I'm in. Oh, cool. One of the thoughts I had was, you know, oh, maybe, maybe Crazy Horses, but, you know, we're going to get another kick at that. But, you know, Boogie Fever is absolutely the best track on this three-inch CD and just think about this track following the negative land track from last week. Perfect. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ryan, thanks to Jennifer Schwartz for being on the show, and thanks to all of our amazing guests that we've had this year, and most importantly uh, of all, thank you to our listeners. Hope everyone has a safe and healthy holiday season, and we'll see you all in 2023, man, the year of the Mojack. Is that what it is? It is. Look it up. Get out of here. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, same for me. Big thanks to everyone. Uh, really appreciate all of the comments and feedback and participation. And uh, most of all, big thanks to you, Brent. Hey, you too, man. And aren't you going to ask me what's next? Hey, Ryan, what's next? boy. Next episode, Brent, it's one of my all-time faves. It's SST 235, the Firehose from Ohio LP. Yeah, can't wait, man. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.